Wake up really early just to cook for my friends Later in the field at night I thought I saw death Made myself a boat and I sailed with a whale Took TV to the market so he could try kale And some other stuff Hey everybody, welcome back to Flooping the Pig um, We got a dope show for you today Some really wild episodes uh, I'm Brad Garoon, and I'm here with Justin Houston. What's up, Justin? Oh, not much. Just still, you know, well, I guess, do we, do we want to date when we're recording these? Because, you know, who knows what it's going to be like when these actually start airing. But I am at home, and I have been at home for some time. I think it'll make people feel better, because when they hear this, hopefully they'll be a little bit more outside and less filled with virus. Fingers crossed. Uh, Kevin, how's it going? Kevin Ford, ladies and gentlemen. I'm doing well. Same boat as Justin, and I'm excited we get to put yet another season of Adventure Time behind us after this recording. Sort of. Yeah, we can mention you can mention that if you'd like. Oh, I've got things to say about it, but let's we'll get to it when we get to it. In, uh, okay. In the meantime, why don't, Kevin, why don't you take us through crossover? Sure. Before I do that, I do want to encourage people to go back and listen to episode 27 of Flooping to Pig. Before, if you want to remind yourself of stuff that happened in Finn the Human and Jake the Dog, which contain the backstory covered for this, and will serve as somewhat of a, a primer for what's going on here. Eh, the backstory for this is in this. It is, but I, but I'm, I'm saying that because I'm not going to recap it all here again. Fantastic. So. Prismo tells Finn and Jake that the farm world alternate reality from there, uh, Finn was infected by the Ice King's crown and Jake became the lich. And now they're using the Ice King crown to open up a gateway to the multiverse. He arms them with this giant missile called the maid to go into the farm world so Finn can stop other Finn from getting this done. And we actually see Frozen is farm world Billy named Bobby, who's trapped in ice and is powering the that reality's Enchiridion against his will. Finn is unable to use the missile on his alternate version of himself, and instead he and Jake decide they're going to try to steal the Enchiridion, and that ends up failing. Then we see Big Destiny, who's under the spell of the Lich, a.k.a. Farmworld Jake, returning, and Big Destiny has all the jewels to power the Enchiridion, including one off of the Ice Crown. And the Lich reveals to Farmworld Finn that no matter which reality he ends up going to, he and his family will end up dead. And he realizes the Lich has tricked him into opening the multiverse for him. Uh, so Farmworld Finn takes the crown jewels back to fight off the Lich, which deactivates that portal. And at one point during the battle, when the crown is knocked off of Farmworld Finn, our Finn pleads with him trying to convince him they're the same person and he does end up getting to him a little bit and the two fins end up using the maid missile to destroy the lich instead and uh that saves everybody in prismo beams finn and jake back to his home finn wanted to try to talk to the farmworld finn a little bit more but didn't get his chance so we see that farmworld jake goes back to being just his regular dog and finn has prismo do some edits on reality so that the ice crown ended up being destroyed in the mutant uh mutagen bomb explosion from those episodes we discussed so that he wouldn't be messed up. The farm world Finn wouldn't be messed up from what the crown did to him. And that plan ends up working, but we see our Finn sadly watching his farm world counterpart reuniting with his parents and his baby brother. And that is this episode. Justin, what did you think of it? And was this a universe you were happy to see again? Yes, I was actually. It wasn't something that I needed or expected resolution on, but this was a, a kind of a unique uh, challenge, which was uh, Finn's goal is usually not to just clobber the enemy, especially since he's gotten older as the series has uh, you know, gotten older as well. He 
tends to want to resort to creating an understanding with that villain. And this time it's him. So he's, he's extra sort of driven to do that. Um, and I really like, I like the voice acting from, um, is his name Jeremy Shada? Is that his name? Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. I wasn't sure if that was great. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the way that, uh, he played the farm old Finn, uh, in the, the first set of episodes and, um, the sort of manic way he plays in here. I liked it a lot. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say in terms of like deep divey stuff. I just thought it was a good episode other than the weapon being called the maid was and the, what they had to utter to launch it. I don't know. I found that kind of weird. Did you feel the same way, Brad? So the maid I loved because there's a little Easter egg there that they don't ever explain. Actually, there's a few things that come up in this episode that I don't think ever get explained. So maybe it'll ha- happen in distant lands. First off, this is like a top 10 episode for me, which is saying something because it's followed by one of my favorite episodes in the whole show. But we'll get to that in a minute. The maid is really interesting because at the end of it, there's a PS, a postscript that says something like, don't aim this at your buddy and goof around again, which which means that there's a version of Finn and Jake that had the maid before and screwed this up or screwed something up. And clearly they screwed it up here, but they didn't point it at each other. So I wonder if we'll ever see see that. In, in, in fact, the only thing I didn't like about this episode is it had the how how we got here TV trope. Like it started in the middle of the action and then went back an hour to explain how Finn and Jake got to Farmworld. But in an 11 minute show, I don't think you really need that. The beginning, them getting them swinging around in their apartment by the ceiling fan and getting called by Prisma was a perfectly fine and, and engaging way to start an episode. So that was a little weird to me. I did like that they that we learned that it's not a nuclear bomb that went off, but it's like Kevin said, a, mut- a mutagenic bomb. So it's a special kind of bomb and it also that it that it most certainly did contain the spirit of the lich but yeah like prismo mentions a boss and i'm pretty sure he's not talking about the cosmic owl because he seems afraid of his boss and to my memory we for the rest of the series as it stands now never find out who that is right like justin off the top of your head you can't remember who prismo's boss is no that was a uh like i was watching with my wife and my wife was like who's his boss and i went i don't know gold i I don't don't know i don't know who he considers his boss I don't think it would be Golb because I, – well, I don't want to say too much about Golb except Golb comes back and it doesn't seem like Golb is bossing anybody around, right? It right. seems There's like – There's no direct correlation between those two characters. I, right. I was just trying to think of who's who's more powerful in the hierarchy maybe. I don't right. know. And that, but you're and that's, right. that's a reasonable answer, but Golb is like chaos, right? So who knows? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that um, – I the, there was a really sweet moment in this where Finn and Jake start fighting Ice Finn and Jake just I don't know tells Finn he loves him because he thinks they might die and Finn says it back it's it's really sweet and comes out of nowhere and very disarming. I'm I'm a huge fan of shows that are about friendship, like genuine friendship. So like not the show Friends, but every other show about friends. Like um the show Love Sick on Netflix is a great example of that or to like a much lesser and more accessible extent like New Girl is kind of about that but just like shows that show friendship in a way that like friendship seems to really exist I like and I like it mostly because when we were growing up I feel like the displays of male friendship were really misogynist and toxic in a lot of ways and I'm really happy to see that on TV now there's a lot of very emotional vulnerable displays of male friendship and this is and finn and jake have always been an example of that even when they're even when they fight they're very loving towards each other and i thought what a, what a fun little like moment in a very action-packed episode to sneak something like that in there but one one thing that i want to talk to you guys about 
so at one point, Ice Finn starts calling everyone Bertram, which I think was the name of his donkey in um, Finn the Human and Jake the Dog, or Jake it the Dog, was, I guess. yes. So to me, that, that made me think that he calls people Bertram the way that Ice King calls people Gunther, which sort of makes sense, except in the lore of the show, which we learned in Evergreen, everyone who wears the crown should be calling people Gunther because Gunther was the name of Evergreen's dinosaur friend. And so that's hardwired into the crown, right? So it's not like Orgolorg Penguin is not really called Gunther. That's just what Ice King calls him because he remembers that dinosaur. In his so, universe. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. Uh, it, different universes. But no, the universes split much later. They split because of the bomb. The evergreen stuff takes place thousands of years before Earth, even. It wasn't to prevent the bomb. It was to prevent the catalyst. And maybe in this, in this version of events, it did. I don't know. Or maybe in this version, it's just named. Or the crown doesn't have that uh, complication added to it. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, it exists. So if the crown exists, then uh, then it must have been necessary, and otherwise it obviously wouldn't exist in that in that era. So maybe he's just if if Billy can be Bobby, there's no reason that um, Gunther can't be um, Bertram. No, I disagree. Oh wait, no. Now I have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I disagree because the oh, reason billy the re- here we go i got this the reason billy this is why we do this podcast <laughs> the reason billy is bobby is because the bomb never went off so people didn't mutate in the same way so finn mentions billy why are you or billy why are you so small actually my name's bobby the reason he's small is there was no mutation to make giant versions of humans the way billy was the crown predates all of that the crown right. gunther the dinosaur imprinting upon the crown his own name should be in this universe too. Unless that's the change that was made. Remember they said magic never came. Maybe in this version he actually succeeds. I think that's the bomb the is what brought magic oh. though. But what the but see, I think So here's the problem with all of these. So we have this weird I'm gonna go on a little rant about like Do it. multiple universes. Do it. So multiple universes um and I'm uh <laughs> is like nonsense because we, we only think of them in terms of our own lives, right? So they're just variations on our own timeline, and that's insanity. That there wouldn't be. Oh no! But in this one, he has longer hair. Like, but that's that's not that's not that much of a variation. That's a, a, a an infinitesimal, well, you know, just the smallest amount you could possibly imagine change. Whereas in other timelines, you never existed. You existed, but you had, but you've existed for a very short period of time. Multiple universes means everything's possible, not one sort of small variant so correct everything could be different in this uh in this time frame this just happens to be one that looks vaguely similar to the one that we're used to but um by and large everything could be different that's reasonable but i feel like what we've been told just based but i'm going off what we've been told and what we've been told is that the bomb didn't go off and then that's what changed everything i don't know I don't know, like Ice King stopped the bomb and that Simon looks the same, but everything else looks different. I don't know. Okay. Don't know. Wait, but- wait, wait, wait. What, what changed was, because remember he comments that the bomb goes off anyway. So he stops something. The bomb goes off, before. but but the bomb goes off much later because Finn is already right. born. So it's still, a th- there was a thousand years of frozen earth instead of a thousand years of mutated earth. See, the way I figure it, the way I'm, I'm, this is just a plausible way that you could, you could justify this existence, right? Prismo didn't have to make one change. He had to make many changes. 
And he just happened to get back to, okay, let's change. Like if there's no magic, I, he maybe Prismo has to keep stopping the bomb from going off. And the wish works all the way up to the point chronologically, the same age that Finn is now. And so now he has to play it out as if it's it's current day, the current timeline. And what happens is maybe Prismo has to stop this bomb 40 times to keep getting this, you know, uh, going off uh, for various reasons. But once he gets to the point where Finn is the age that he is, the wish no longer takes effect. And that's when the bomb goes off. Okay, so I think you're onto something maybe. I mean, granted, we're making this all up too. But I like that explanation because what it also suggests is that Prismo not only, right, he not only had to stop, use Ice King to stop the bomb in our modern time, but he also had to make changes to how the crown worked during Evergreen's time, and we just didn't see that. So fine, I'll I'll accept that as a, I'll accept that as a. He does it in the episode. We see how easy it is for him to change time. Right. Uh, I I accept that premise. I really Um, liked when the big yellow hand fell on Bimo. So wait, can we talk about that for a second? So (laughs) you didn't mention it in your recap, but uh, Finn cuts off the Lich's hand, and then the Lich's hand goes to every other universe, every other dimension. That comes back later. That's actually important for later. I I do wonder, you know, Finn, the way he gets, the way he gets uh, Ice Finn's attention is he talks about how he has like a flaming sideways sideways birthmark in a weird place. It has to be either on his butt or on his pelvis or his his other, you know, his, his crotch because we've seen everything else. We see everything else later on two episodes from now or even in the next episode. It's got to be really private. That's that's really that's sadly that's the last thing I have to say about this episode. I, I gave a lot of thought to the multi-world stuff. I didn't give a whole lot of thought to the birthmark. To be I gave a, I gave a decent amount of thought to both of them. <laughs> Would you Kevin, do you like this? Yes, I like this. I did not go as thoroughly into thought as you guys did about it because I feel, felt like you were going to do the work for me and you kind of did. You're Let's talk about one of your favorite episodes, Brad, the Hall of Egress. Oh, God, what a great episode. Recap it for me. Will do. So the hall itself is a literal dungeon that Finn and Jake find using a map that Flambeau's brother made. Remember Flambeau? But it really turns into a mind dungeon for just Finn. He goes in, uh, a pressure plate locks Jake out, so Finn has to traverse the dungeon alone. And he ends up behind this giant vaulted door that reads the Hall of Egress. And he's only able to get past the door and into this, like, invisible maze when he closes his eyes, which leads to Jake and the outside world. However, anytime he opens his eyes, he's immediately transported back into the hall. Uh, and this ends up with him trying to resume normal life with his eyes always closed, but both Jake and Bimo are forcing him to open his eyes over and over again. And Finn eventually realizes nothing's going to change unless he does something. So he puts on a bunch of blindfolds, wanders off. He even takes off his clothes uh, when he, when one of them gets, his shirt gets like unraveled and he doesn't want any trail of anyone following him, gets a bunch of like stuff in the woods to, to wear his clothing instead. And he's wandering blindly through the kingdoms and eventually finds the Hall of Egress dungeon again, but this time in a desert area. Uh, and in his head, when he gets to the door again, he hears Bimo's voice say that something is different. And this time he opens his eyes to pass through the door and he can now see the outline of the invisible maze, which is surrounded by this blue sky and animals, including Jake. And he hears PB's voice in his head say, hurry Finn at the seashells center lies the cornucopia's smallest door. He hurries to Jake, bursting through the rubble at the top of the cave, and when Jake remarks that that must have been some dungeon, he replies, no comment. This is a really complicated one to 
to go through. So I, I tried to paint it with as broad a stroke as I could in my recap. But Brad, since this is one of your favorites, I will let you get to your thoughts first. So I love it for the same reasons I love Pahoy. It's so much of it is left up to, I mean, you can decide how much of it was real and how much of it was in Finn's mind or how much of it was real and in Finn's mind and something he had to go through to evolve as a character the way that he had to do the same thing in Pahoy when he went into the pillow fort and had to literally grow up to put things in perspective for himself. And here, we don't see him thinking too hard as the story begins. It's different in Pahoy, and that way he's not going through a major crisis when it starts. The first thing I loved about it was that they're in the same area where the dungeon train is. Another connection to Pahoy, Finn was having a hard time with Princess Bubblegum, or not with Princess Bubblegum, with Flame Princess, when they went to the dungeon train. So, so the dungeon train is this messed up place that totally screwed with with him and Jake. So this 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 realm that they're in, this kingdom that they're in, is filled with really difficult, mind-warping dungeons. Um, and then he gets into the dungeon and there's a lot of stuff that's there just for you, for the audience, like a snowman upside down whose nose is pointing back at the beginning. The fact that Finn has to not necessarily clear his mind, but stop overthinking to get out blind. Then when he confides in his friends, that sets him back. So it's better. He needs to just stop overthinking and breaking it down with his friends because as they try to help him, they set him back. So then he goes off on his own and he's, he, he strips himself of everything, becomes totally naked, almost dies while just searching for something to change, gets to where he's going and ends up back at the beginning. The only thing that, that I couldn't quite get to the bottom of, and I don't think we're necessarily supposed to get to the bottom of it, is this bit about the seashell and the cornucopia. So seashells and cornucopias and some, sometimes are shaped the same way and they're spirals going inward. And at the center is this door where Finn finally escapes. And Finn obviously has gone through so much. It's This is taking up months of his life in the same way that Pahoy took up years of his life. Or maybe more. We don't know how many times he got restarted. I, I love the ambiguity of it. I love watching Finn go through a really difficult trial and coming out of the end of it satisfied and 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 not needing to break it down with Jake at the end. You know, Jake wants to talk about it. Finn has talked enough about what's been going on. He just wants to move forward. And I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I so just... Like hearing you talk about it and thinking about it more, there there are certain elements that I, I sort of couldn't rectify because I'm always looking for something very, a, a clear and direct understanding of of why and like why did it take him, you know, sort of uh, not planning things out. Why why was it always changing when he tried to plan it and it only worked when he just sort of, you know, like ran in, um, w- without a plan and and sort of combining that with this idea that he, that he has to go it alone. It, it felt to me like a lot of like mixed messages and I couldn't really like, my wife was like, can you explain this one? I, I don't really get this. one. And these, even as I was just trying to explain some of the themes, I couldn't really connect them very well into something cohesive. Um, but I think in just kind of hearing you talk about it, this reminds me of a comment that Bimo made when Bimo went through this personal journey of growing up uh, like a few episodes ago. And that, that says maybe being an adult is um, like, it, it says something to the effect of everything's falling apart, but you can't really tell if everything's falling apart or if everything's just fine. Like that, that's a part of being adult. But in this case, sometimes it's not easy answers. Like, in fact, very often being an adult and growing up is not easy answers. It's actually no answers. <laughs> you don't get a, well, how am I going to, by the time you think you have an answer to how am I going to go on after this terrible thing? 
you've already gone on. You've actually forgot to keep asking yourself the question. Just progress tends to do that. We always keep moving forward and we don't always remember to answer the questions, to go back and think, well, how did I get to this point? How did I fix this? How did I make this better? There's this sort of, um, there's ambiguity to it. You, you don't always have a definitive answer. So I think just hearing you talk about it and, and having that as, as an understanding, I think I appreciate the episode more because I really like it. And I like the, the, the symbolism and, the, um, and I like what he goes through and I like his inner monologue and his running commentary. But I couldn't connect everything very well. And, and sometimes that's just life. Sometimes things don't connect exactly. You just, you're, you're at a place, you think, how am I going to get anywhere else? And by the time you remember you have that thought, you're already somewhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It's not exactly how I saw it, but but I but I do think it's a really interesting interpretation of the of the episode. Right. Kev, what'd you what'd you think about it? Definitely a little hard, not almost say hard to follow, but I, I'm with Justin where it's like I'm you're trying to put find some meaning in it and some of the things are a bit of a disconnect but i really enjoyed watching it and i really appreciate that the middle part where he's trying to live at home with his eyes closed there was a lot of levity in it with all the sneak attacks from jake opening his eyes and then bemo getting in on it i thought that was good for the middle part of the episode to have that and i liked watching him wander through all the kingdoms blindfolded as well that uh add a lot of color to the story too. So yes, definitely a very good episode. Although, uh, uh, Oh, and I really liked the dungeon train at the very beginning nearby where Jake and Finn both appropriately remembered their experience with Finn having fond memories and Jake absolutely hating it. I like that callback. Yeah. I just didn't have, I just didn't have, it felt like it felt very cohesive to me. It felt of a piece. One other interesting thing about it too was, the animation style was very similar to the style in Walnuts and Rain, where Finn would sometimes have these expressions that were almost like early Mickey Mouse, like Steamboat Willie, Mickey Mouse style. Is it Steamboat Mickey? Steamboat Mickey. Um, Willie. Like, is that okay? Great. No, wait, that's Gene Scratchy. Never mind. Right, Steamboat Mickey, where his eyes get really big or, or really, really, really tall and thin, and his face gets really wide. And I, so I looked into it, and both. Um, Walnuts and Rain and this episode were directed by Andre Salaf, who um, also worked on Regular Show and Uncle Grandpa, which are two shows I don't care for. I really like his contributions to this show. He's also the voice of Nettie in uh, Bonnie and Nettie. Um, so shouts to Andre Salaf. I like I like your style, man. Okay, just to clarify, so we don't get cartoon Twitter coming after us. Steamboat Willie is Mickey Mouse. Steamboat. I was gonna itchy. say it was just Steamboat yeah. Itchy was Itchy. In the oh, okay, all right. I thought I was going crazy. I thought I thought Simpsons had so warped my history that <laughs> I had been saying Steamboat Willie this entire time. Okay, yeah, Steamboat Mickey was never a thing. So I just wanted to to make that clear. Okay, before we get to before we make another mistake like that, let's move on to flute spell. Flute spell. So, after spending three straight days of playing video games, Jake goes on a two-week adventure, and we get uh, a nice song and montage to show all of that, including a cameo of the ancient psychic tandem war elephant for the first time in a little bit. After this, Jake's at home and learns from Shelby that Finn may have found a new lady, and he's uh, apparently keeping it quiet this time. But Jake's is uh, nosy and can't help himself, so he leaves the the treehouse to find out who it is. And it must be four p.m. because he comes across Science Cat. Sadly, Short's shark has passed away. Uh, Jake discovers that the new lady is Huntress Wizard. Finn says that she found him playing his flute with his grass arm in the forest. 
and wanted his help using the flute to summon the forest spirit. Jake thinks there is still something romantic going on there, but Finn doesn't really know what Huntress Wizard's relationship with the forest spirit is. They, uh, The Empress Wizard thinks that they need to get a tusk from a magical boar to make that a flute instead, because maybe that's uh, the issue. And along the way, they spend the night at her house, and the next morning, Finn along the way drinks from this lake that makes him immune to the electricity of the magic boar. And he has this hallucination after drinking it of the forest spirit that asks Finn who he's really playing the flute spell for and says something about Empress Wizard only being able to see forward. So they eventually do get the tusk, and when Finn plays the tusk flute at the same time Empress Wizard plays his old flute, their chemistry is able to summon the forest spirit, and that was uh, Jake's idea for them to do that. And after some awkward conversation, the spirit tells the Empress Wizard that they grew apart when she started getting, quote, that wizard city vibe. Kevin, I'm sorry. You have to stop calling her Empress Wizard. That's not at all her name. What's her name? Huntress. Huntress Wizard. I'm so sorry. I wrote Empress Wizard all this time. So go back. Anytime I I said Empress, I meant Huntress Wizard. The spirit tells Huntress Wizard they grew apart when she started getting that wizard city vibe. And Finn confesses to have feelings for Huntress Wizard, stating that when he was playing the flute to help her out, he was uh, he he did it to help her out. uh, Even when he realized that she probably had a thing for the forest spirit and she admits to Finn, she played the flute for him, too, that she also has feelings. But they're two exceptional beasts who can never fall in love with each other. That uh, really annoys Jake hearing that. But she uh, ends up kissing Finn and uh, Finn wishes her well as uh, Huntress Wizard goes off with the forest spirit. And the episode concludes back in the treehouse with Finn and Jake playing video games Finn tells Jake that he doesn't mind if Huntress Wizard doesn't come around to the idea of them getting together. That's our episode. What did you think, Justin? I like this one a lot, especially as a companion piece for the previous one. I think this really shows an immediate effect on what this experience had on Finn, which is a good one. And that's that he's been having some him time, you know, that he had this whole experience that was him time anyway. Like he had to kind of do all this you know, himself. And he's still just kind of, um, he's growing up in a way. He's not centering everything on, uh, on, on a relationship or on that sort of maturity is becoming more invested in oneself and finding answers in yourself. And he has just like a secret chill spot that he's been going to quite a lot and just been, you know, doing his own thing. So I, I think that's really important, um, to note that, um, I like, the episode I'd like, I liked the two of them together and, um, the guest voice, um, uh, who, who was in the episode as well. Um, I, I did like Jake trying to play the role that he's, he knows best, which is pushing that, that he did for seasons and seasons, pushing Finn to, you know, to, to make a move or just try to, to get him in a relationship. And, um, in a way I feel like Jake kind of represents us, uh, audience members who just want to see the, the way things were and Finn pining over some princess or, or trying to get with some princess and the show has grown up past that. And so is Finn. And that's the, that's really the resolution in the end, which is he professes his feelings. She rejects him essentially, but because he's listening and because he, he cares about the answer and the, 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 um, the reasoning behind it, that he's fine with it. He appreciates the answer and it's not this, thing that caused him to spiral or anything like that he just goes back to playing video games and uh i really like the the nature of this video game being a sort of stand-in for how you have to approach 
love in general is that it's a game that when you keep playing it, the only thing you can really do is buff your armor. That's what happens whenever you break up and you go back to the start. And you, as you're going through it, the armor gets a little stronger every single time you go. Um, and uh, that it's still a positive experience. And it's worth going through that trouble every time. Um, I like this episode a lot. You like read my notes, essentially. You did such an amazing job of, of saying how I felt about the episode. Um, I guess I just have a couple other things to say. Um, I did like the way that Jake spoke about video games in the beginning. Just on a very surface level, it feels exactly how I feel about video games, where while I'm doing them, I feel like I'm completely in prison, and the only thing that can free me is something technically going wrong and erasing all my powers, so I'm frustrated enough to go outside. Okay, okay, a couple quick hits because Justin took all my big stuff. <laughs> Jake's song was hilarious, although very dark. Um, Maja's not a good person, but it sucks that she's in a freaking coma and the only person she can talk to is an annoying psychic elephant. Um, Shelby was in this, so that made me very happy. Uh, really sad that Sword Shark died of old age. Um, they just threw that in there like it was nothing, and it really yeah. makes you confront that like people just die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that was sh- more shocking a uh, more shocking death than any other way they could have articulated him dying for like, sure just it, it was just like all of us just looked at each other like oh that's right even even in the cartoons people can just die of old age that's not fair yep. um yeah it's pretty messed up um but important i i like that this was the third episode in a row where we saw finn play the flute um, he addressed why he's good at flute in crossover. Then we saw him play it while Jake was wearing his funny hat in um, Hall of Egress. And then <laughs> here it's quite important. Um, yeah, I guess we we were derelict in not mentioning Jake's funny hat in the last episode. <laughs> yeah, J- just remembering it makes me laugh. Um, I really like that. I'm I'm spoiling a little bit. Well, here um, I thought it was really interesting that they had Finn straight up trip uh, in this. And I was I thought it was very funny the transition being immediate, like it being a jump cut to him tripping. Um it was pretty funny and him being startled by how quickly it happened. And then I also like that Matthew Broderick only voices characters who can be seen inside dreams, and that the two characters they're two separate characters look the same but are different colors. So that's an interesting little thread that's that links this episode and I forget which episode it is in season one, but when Matthew Broderick voiced an episode in season one. And I thought that the Thunderbore had a really cool design. And I'm glad that they had his tusk grow back because I don't like the idea of Finn being straight up in, like an ivory hunter. It's very upsetting. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then the last thing, that line that um, Huntress Wizard says to Finn to break up with him is, you're an exceptional beast and you have great hair, uh, but we can't be together. It reminds me, okay, this is like how I've been dumped many times. It's like, you're great. Your hair is dope. We're not going to be doing this anymore. And that hit really close to home. The only thing I'll add to what Justin was saying was it does take having been rejected before and learning how to accept that it's really not personal and there are things about you that are good and someone else's view of you does not destroy you even if they reject you to be able to handle that and move on with your day and move on with your life without it being a disaster for you. I was just shocked that I was like, wow, those are exact words that I've heard before. And also probably why I fetishize my own hair. Well, I was going to say, speaking of good hair, the Matthew Broderick character you're thinking of was Dream Warrior from Who Would Win. Uh, And the only other thing I want to add is I do like that 
in Hall of Egress at the beginning, there's also Jake mentioned something about Flame Princess and and Finn. You know, we'd seen him go into this really dark place in his head about it, but here he kind of admits it sucks, but is able to laugh it off. So it's built upon that where it isn't just all of a sudden in one episode, he's over it. Clearly, he's had time to to think about it, and those past experiences have shaped him here. So like Justin said, in it building off the previous episode, I like that it is um, fleshed out and shown here, too, that, that Finn has grown out of that a little bit. So definitely liked this. Uh, it was one that I didn't totally forget, but I had forgotten how much of uh, just we see of Finn growing overall by the end of it. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, if you'd continued watching, she Huntress Wizard comes back and is, I wouldn't say important, but certainly um, present a lot as the show goes on. So it, for me, it was easy to remember where she started. I, I even like that. It, it's not just the simple thing of him playing the flute, but specifically that it was his grass sword that impressed her, which makes sense for somebody who lives in the forest and has connection to the forest spirit. Just little things like that. I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Shall we get into the season seven finale? I did have like a weird thing though, before we, just before we get into it. And I didn't realize how much I compared these characters I'm reading. I'm going back and reading, um, uh, Brian Michael Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man, and as I'm reading it, at one point he's fighting Electro, and he gets shocked and knocked out. And for whatever bre- reason, my brain went, "Wait a minute, he can't be electrocuted anymore because he got the Boar's Tusk." <laughs> and I sat there, <laughs> and I sat there for a second. And went, he, also, but let's just be clear: he didn't not get electrocuted because he got the Boar's Tusk. Right? He was they able had to, to do get the, the Boar's Tusk because he had the dream. Right, right. That was just what my brain told me at the time. And I was like, wait a minute. Not only is that not what happened, this is not the right character. <laughs> and I never really compared Finn, the human, and like Peter Parker. Um, but I don't know. There is like a, you're, when you're reading Spider Man, it's always, almost always coming of age. It is uh, like a kid becoming a man and or just having to deal with a lot of responsibility being thrown at you. Um, so, there are similar themes, but my brain just jumped straight to it. As soon as I was like, wait a minute, he can't be electrocuted because of the, the tusk that he got. So I don't know why that happened. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And I'd never really compared those two characters before. I did think it was strange. We almost saw Finn commit full on seppuku on screen. Oh, it was in a dream. <laughs> I, did, I didn't want him to do it either. I was like, he's not going to do it, is he? And then it, I'm glad they cut to him not having the sword. But yeah, it was concerning. But it's like every dream where you're about to die, you wake up this time. Um, before we talk about the season seven finale, the thin yellow line, can I just complain a bit about the fact that this is the season finale? Yes. So thank you. So when when the show was airing, it was not billed as the season finale. If you look at production codes for every episode, it's not the end of the production code for the season. And the in truth, the real season finale of season seven is reboot, which we won't get to for like four more episodes it's it's quite a ways away this was really right in the middle of season seven if you were going to do a season break here kevin mentioned this off air but crossover would have been the place to do it not this um not that this episode's bad i actually quite like the thin yellow line it's just not anything in terms of you know a big character moment for anyone except for banana guards and their perception of princess bubblegum i guess and maybe princess bubblegum too in a in a sort of a comedic way but it just really bothers me that i started noticing this being billed as the season seven finale when it aired on hulu and then in dvds 
it's been the season seven finale. But as Kevin told me before we went on the air, they actually what what did you say? They so season like, seven was its own DVD, and then they collected seasons eight, nine, and ten into one DVD set. Right. So it seemed to me that the reason they were doing this is because. When the show was coming out, I mean, before the end of the show, they they already started calling this a season seven finale. But had the show come out as it seems to be intended, there would be nine seasons. So it seems they did this so that there would be a tenth season because season seven is being cut in half here. And then season eight is truncated because of it. But if they're not even like making more DVDs because of it, I really don't understand the point. And it just like aggravates my nerd brain. Well, you know, as a. As a fan, eventually, when something gets uh, popular enough, or, or you know, you you start, they don't have control of that. We we don't have to call this to see. We can call it whatever we want. It's like you're not going to show someone Star Wars by showing them Episode One first. That's madness. Like, why would you do that? Because there's, people don't know any better. But that's that's sort of the point. The people who watch Episode One first are the people who don't know about Machete. So right there. But like, if you go into a cold, you don't know. And if you're like, if you're like on Hulu. And you're like, oh, here's a cool one. You get to the end of season seven. I mean, maybe maybe now you don't care because when you stream things, you just keep going and going and you don't know where a season begins and ends. But well, I don't know. You it bothers me. Upon it. Come up with your own. What's Not now, but then maybe the next episode. You tell us where it should. Well, I don't even need to come up with my own because the production team did tell us. You just have to really look for it. Season seven really ends with reboot and, and season eight really starts with two swords, which we'll talk about in four or five weeks. Okay. It's a, it's going to be an episode sixty nine. Nice. Uh, where does preboot fall in that then? Preboot's just the episode before reboot, but it's a two parter, so it's kind of like. Oh, okay. I thought it went done. reboot preboot, not preboot. No, no. Reboot. Preboot's first. Preboot comes before redo. Look at my NXT reviews. But some. God damn it. Okay. Anywho, are we ready for the real deal season seven finale in the best H- episode H- of all these four for sure? Go. <laughs> okay, so Finn and Jake go undercover as banana guards to find out which banana guard they caught in the act of spray painting this beautiful mural in the Candy Kingdom. And they have differing opinions on this. Finn just sees it as vandalism, but Jake really respects the art of it. Finn is able to find the banana guard one day when uh, they have this, when he's he's uh, writing up this fake report for Jake and drawing a picture of Jake and this banana guard with a very distinct different voice from the other banana guard starts giving him drawing tips. And then the guard shows Finn his secret room where he paints and he states that he's afraid to share his gift as banana guards aren't supposed to deviate from their duties. And he tells of awful stories of PB's past where she's turned the first candy people into monsters and even... Uh, abuses her brother, Nettie, who she's imprisoned. Finn promises to keep the secret, but unfortunately, Jake catches the banana guard and turns them in. Uh, But fortunately, PB does not want to punish banana guard number 16, uh, but he wants him to paint a mural in the Candy Kingdom Banquet Hall. And this revelation brings forth a slew of banana guards who have their secret talents to share. And PB loves seeing all of them, but also tells a guard who admits to having no special talents that that's okay, too. I had a great deal of fun watching this. The banana guards are uh, a, a not even a guilty pleasure. I just love watching them make me laugh every time. What did you think of it, Brad? Uh, yeah, it's a cute episode. I think it's a bit of a come down. We, we talked about this, I think it was two weeks ago after, what was the, there, there was some heavy episode two weeks ago and then there was a nice chill one after that. I think the chill one was uh, uh, Summer Showers and I can't remember what we reviewed right before that. More you mow, more, more you know was right before right. that. So after the big BMO epic we had the Summer Showers cool down. This was like a cool down after three pretty, I wouldn't say heavy episodes. Well, Egress is kind of heavy, but three big episodes. It's 
a nice cooldown. I really like Detective Finn and Detective Jake. I mean, these are characters that we've seen before, or you know, parts of their personality we've seen before that I really enjoy. The the only other thing I really have to say about it is that aside from the voice work, which is cool, um, I love that the mural that Banana Guard sixteen painted had an image of Goliad and Stormo fighting the Gumball Guardians, and that's something that I really want to see now. But I. I'm pretty sure, given things that happen in the show, it's in, later in the show, it's impossible. But that would be interesting. I, I Goliad and Stormo, I, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think come back in any kind of significant way throughout the rest of the show, um, except in this mural. They are depicted exactly once, and I believe it's in the final episode. Uh, but in like a montage, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. There, there, There is no resolution that will always... I f- Does it still gnaw at you that they never went back to that? No, I mean, it doesn't need to. Okay. They're locked in psychic battle for the rest of eternity. Right, but, yeah. But I do think it would be cool if we got to see them fight the Gumball Guardians after it's seeing it depicted that way in this in this uh, mural. I, I thought it was, I don't know. I mean, I like that the Gumball Guardians got to see a, a different side of Bubblegum here and can love her more calmly now. I I also think... This works better for me if I attribute their paranoia of her to not just the fact that she was so terrible to all the rattleballs, but to Starchy's show. I like to think that they all listen to Starchy's show, and he's really revved them up. Yeah, there's definitely like a, a a part of it now. One of the things I like about this episode is it doesn't lay the all of the, the fear and the um, the mistrust of Princess Bubblegum just at her feet. There's also like a a structure in place that can t- it has that on like a feedback loop that they're all sort of feeding into that idea anyway. So it's not all her. And, and the, I like that she was kind of appalled and, and concerned at like the levels that they were worshiping her. Um, it was just a fun game at some point, but now it's, it's very real and people are afraid of expressing their own attitudes and talents and thoughts and things like that. I'm sure I've done that as a parent where I've, stepped on something my my daughter said and now she feels she felt less compelled to like speak up or was afraid that i would that every idea was a bad idea since her last idea was a bad idea um so yeah i I like that uh i like that part of it but um it was mostly just like a slap sticky episode it kind of reminded me of cartoons in like the 70s that everything was just kind of like manic and wacky it looked hand-drawn more than normal and it's hard for me to explain it because I don't know anything about uh, how this kind of animation is, is handled. Did it look more, especially in Jake's face, it just the movement looked much more fluid and like the cartoons we grew up on than most modern shows that are kind of done digitally. It looked hand done. I didn't notice that, but there, I do think, I mean, you find that there are certain batches of episodes that tend to have a similar look. You know, I mentioned it with Hall of Egress and uh, Wallace and Rain, and we've seen it a lot with um, the guy who did, who does the more artsy fartsy silent movie inspired episodes. This one Grand was direct. Falk. Grant Falk. Thank you so much. This one was directed by Adam Mudo, who I think at this point was already the showrunner, but it was storyboarded by Emily Partridge and Casey Green. So we should look out for in the future to see if usually the story people who storyboard a certain episode at first, they do it in team. So I think Casey and Emily might be a team. We should keep a lookout in the future to see if, if this style comes back, if they were the ones who, who handled it. Yeah, that would be interesting because I, I, I know it's more labor intensive. I'm, I'm certain but I just have more of a connection to those that feel like 
like I can all, you can almost see the hand guiding the emotion. You're just always, there's a reason that, that, you know, Disney films, older Disney films, you could, the emotion in their faces that, that didn't come through as much. in kind of the 2000 era films. And that's because they were figuring out how to translate that to the digital process. And it just, it didn't, it didn't quite work in the same way. You, you really, for certain emotions and for the, for, you need the uniqueness of a character's face. Sometimes you still need, uh, you know, a pen and paper, as it were. Uh, I'm sure it's not a pen and paper, but something, some version of that. Especially in the like the wackiness with Jake and the kind of Three Stooges. Um, I got Scooby Doo vibes from that. I don't know why from that scene. And there was kind of like a like a wacky music playing as well, or just like a like a not Adventure Time ish music playing in that scene. It felt like an ode to a cartoon I hadn't seen before. Well, what I would say is uh, on episode 69, nice, we have an episode coming up called Do No Harm. That's the next and last one that Emily Partridge is, is she headed up, that she storyboarded. So keep an eye out for that. Um, she didn't do it with Casey Green. So the next Casey Green episode is, I wasn't ready for this. I was only half ready for you to finish talking. Um Oh, there are no more. This is the only one that he wrote and storyboarded. So, so do no harm is the next possible one. But given that this is the first time we've seen it, it might also be the last time since this is the only one that he wrote and storyboarded. This was one of the first shows that I really noticed the the artists, or I I wouldn't say noticed. I retroactively I can look back at episodes, of lots of cartoon shows. Went boy, that one didn't even look much like that one. Or the, the the faces and mannerisms didn't. It was just a little less. Um, it just didn't quite look the same. This was one of those first shows where you you felt like uh, episode to episode things could be a little different between them. I don't know. I I, I noticed that quite a bit. But yeah, I uh, can't think of another cartoon where the artists are given as much freedom as they are in Adventure Time. I can think of other live action shows where different directors certainly bring like different or different writers rather TV is much more of a writer's medium, but sure. uh, different writers bring like a different mood and style to episodes. But yeah, and animation adventure time more than any other show that I've seen really gives a lot, seems to give a lot of freedom to writers. And it also seems to be a place that writers from a lot of other shows we know at least do like a pit stop in yeah. and by writers. I mean, yeah. sto- artists. So I, I don't think I just talk about the episode though. I, I don't know if I, uh, I, I didn't dislike it, but I, I, I wouldn't say that I, it, I didn't find it very memorable. And, and of all the ones that have allusions to them being police officers, this is probably the one that stands out the least. Um, should we move on to snails? Kevin, did you, you said what you thought of this episode. I did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, best episode of these four for sure. You're the worst. That's not <laughs> true. This was, these were three amazing episodes coming into this one. I yeah. do. I do just have an affinity for the banana guards. I'll admit it. Uh, so snails in crossover, the snails inside the maids box when Jake is getting ready to use it in hall of egress. It's on top of the hall itself uh, outside by two deer in flute spell. We see it in the montage at the beginning and the window of Jake and lady Rainicorn's house. And then in the thin yellow line, it is next to a cooler in the banana guard office when Finn is writing up Jake's phony arrest report. And that's the snails for this week. We have a lot of cameos this week, uh, especially because of a crossover. Kumail Nanjiani returns. They're all returning voices. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani returns as Prismo. Uh, Lou Ferrigno voices Bobby, who is Billy's counterpart. 
Uh, James Kyson returns as Big Destiny. You might know him from the show Heroes. He was Heroes' buddy. And Ron Perlman returns as the Lich. Uh, Huntress Wizard is Jenny Slate. Um, this is her only appearance. Other people voice the character later. Uh, Matthew Broderick, as we mentioned before, is the Spirit of the Forest returning. Um, Steve Agee does a lot of voices, but here he's Science Cat. And I felt like since his line about Sword Shark was so powerful, he deserved a mention here. And then Banana Guard 16 is voiced by Tunde Adebimpe, who I don't really know, but I saw Rachel getting married, and he's in that. So Wait, seen- wait, wait, wait. From the, well, what's the name of the band? Yeah, um, he's a TV musician. on the radio? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so thank you, Justin, for knowing who he is, because I wasn't <laughs> going to mention his band. Yes, he's a musician, <laughs> and his voice is great, so he did a good job there. Anyway, I'm Brad Garoon. As I mentioned, I have a Twitter called Garoongate. I wrote a podcast called Too Old to Date that I would love you to check out on Spotify uh, and other things like iTunes and Stitcher. Not Stitcher. Is it Stitcher? It's Stitcher. Too many things sound similar. I hate apps. Kevin, what do you do? Well, before I get into my plugs, I do want to give a, a small production note. And this is both a reminder for you guys and the listeners. But next week, we're going to be watching the first three episodes of season eight. But then we're also going to be watching the five frog season shorts, all of which are available on YouTube, on the Cartoon Network channel. And I think it's on the season seven DVD if you happen to own it. And I believe the correct watching order is spring, summer, autumn, winter and spring again. Correct. So. Be sure to watch those shorts in addition to those three episodes. But I'm on Twitter at KFord13. On this here website, I have Veronica Mars podcast and a lost podcast, which are completed. You can go in the archives and listen to those. You can listen to my Breaking Bad podcast with Jerome Cusan, which is monthly. Season 5, Part 2 just came out this week. And uh, that's everything that I have. Justin. Twitter, it's uh, it's, at Justin J. Houston. What's your YouTube again? Deep and meaningless. All right, I'm going to check that out. It's fun. Thanks for flooping the pig, y'all. I flooped the pig. Mm-hmm.